And Abram now, we've been studying him here for a couple chapters. He's got all the promises. God's come to him and spoken to him. He's heard from God. Think about it. And when push comes to shove and a famine came into his life or a famine came into the life of the people of Canaan, he split. I mean, really not a highlight of a life of faith. Amen. The Bible says that all of us, those who are found in Christ, folks, those who are found in Christ, listen, the just, you've been justified. It says that the just, the Bible says, shall live by faith. And I always tell you this. I always used to say, okay, good. I'd roll up my sleeves. I'm going to manufacture my faith here, man. And I'm going to be the most faithful person around. But I, one day it hit me. It's not saying to me, you develop your faith and be the strongest guy and the best rule keeper. No, he's saying the just who I've justified, the Lord says, you're going to live by faith. And when you have some ugly times as a Christian, there's going to be room for you to come back and live by faith. When you have great times and the enemy attacks, you will live by faith. I'm going to take you, the Lord says, through a lot of different circumstances. It's going to require faith. Why? Because faith is the currency. Do that. Currency of heaven. It's the currency of eternity. Faith, trust, belief, dependence, looking unto, uh, being right up under the shadow of his wings, tucking yourself right up underneath there. It's the safest and greatest place to be for you and your spiritual health. And yet, look, it says that that picture sometimes ain't true (laughs) or it doesn't go as planned. Let's put it that way. You agree? In fact, do you know that the Bible, not in Genesis, but in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says this, let anyone who thinks that he stands, the picture is that, you know, standing tall, boom, you put your tie up and you got your jacket on and your chest is puffed out and you're you know what's in. But anyway, and you're just, boom. Take heed, you see. Take heed. Just really be careful, the Lord says. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And if anyone knew that, it had to be Abram. Can you imagine, listen, coming through Genesis 15, and the Lord saying, I've accounted it unto you, your belief, your trust, your faith, your dependence, and you you now have the righteous, my righteousness into your spiritual bank account because you've believed. You're on this side of the cross looking that way to the Messiah. We stand on the other side of the cross looking back, and the Bible says, watch, What a freeing doctrine. It makes me and puts me on a spiritual high every time I read it. Hopefully it does you too. I think it does. That he who knew no sin became sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, so that you might have the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. Oh, my. So that those who put their trust in Christ, the imputed sins, the sins that were imputed to Christ at the cross... Now, those people 
who put their trust in Jesus and all that he's accomplished, his death and his resurrection. Now it comes back to you, a spiritual judicial transaction, and that's that you're righteous. And Abram knew it. The Lord told it to him. I mean, what kind of spiritual high must he be on? And what's really interesting about faith is when we're riding those sort of waves of the Lord, we have this weird tendency to say, man, am I doing good. Tie up, coat on, chest puffed out, ready to be faithful. But the Lord does it, doesn't he? And now we come into chapter 16 after Abram's heard this covenant known that he's has the righteousness of God. And now God's given him a covenant again. Talk to him about the descendants that will be, first he said like dust, then like the stars in the sky. Later in Genesis, he'll say like the sand on the sea. You're going to have descendants like that. And oh, by the way, you're going to have, it says at the end of chapter 15, you're going to have the land. From the river Euphrates all the way down to the rivers in Egypt. And all the way out there in the um, eastern areas, you're going to have that land. And your descendants are going to have that land. He gives a people promise, a descendants promise, and a land promise. Now remember how beautiful and how touched you would be as they cut the animals in half to make the covenant together, to make the covenant together. That he's cut the animals in half, usually the two parties who make a covenant. I give you money. I give Chaba money. Uh, uh, or excuse me, Chaba offers to cut my lawn. I give him money. And we would make this covenant, cut the animals in half, and walk in between as if to say, if one of us doesn't make good on the covenant or his end of the deal, you're going to be like those animals that are beside you. And remember, when God made the covenant with Abram, Abram went to sleep and God passed through there unilaterally by himself. It's as if God's saying, here, I'm just going to give you everything. (laughs) I mean, what kind of high would you be on here if you were Abram? And that's the point. Take heed lest you fall, the Bible tells us. Take heed lest you fall. Now look at this. Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. I want you to turn in your Bible and go back to chapter 12, verse 2. And uh, I want you to read this. The Lord said to Abram, hey, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'm going to make you a great nation. I'll bless you, make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you. And all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And look, keep going with me. Turn over to Genesis chapter 15. And the Lord clarifies it. He talks to Abram again, and uh, he clarifies this because, oh, I'm going to have descendants. But he must have been thinking, and his wife must have been thinking, 
You know, I'm getting up in age. I'm in my 70s. She's in her 60s. And now as we move in this story, he's going to be in his 80s and she's going to be in his 70s. So he clarifies in Genesis chapter 15. Watch. They must have been asking the question, verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, Abram, saying, This one isn't going to be your heir, his servant, because he was saying to the Lord, Hey, I don't have anybody to be my heir. My servant's going to have to be my heir. And the Lord said to him, "Not, No, 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 he won't be your heir, but watch this. But one will come from your own body shall be your heir. Now listen, between Genesis chapter 12 and the chapter that we're currently in, 17, 10 years have elapsed. Have you ever waited for a promise for 10 years? And in this age, we don't like to wait for anything. I mean, come on, seriously. You ever been to a Wendy's or a McDonald's and you order and you have to wait there for more than five minutes? You're like pounding the steering wheel. What's wrong with these people? This is fast food. Why can't I get my fast food? It took you five minutes and 38 seconds to get me my food. What is going on around here? And we love social media and we love to look at those likes. Boom, boom, boom. And it's instant. And you could go on and on. There's a lot of things We like instant news. We like instant, you know, I mean, you can get on Twitter or threads or whatever, and you can see in real time all the intricacies of the news that are happening as they happen. That's what we like. It used to be, I mean, come on, man. It used to be if I would watch Sunday football when I was a kid. I wouldn't know till Monday night when Howard Cosell went through the highlights. Who, I mean, you, can you believe how hard that would have been for me? Who would have won what game? Now you're like, they have the red zone package. You can just watch when teams are scoring. They actually have that. People pay for this. All the games on NFL, as they're scoring, not the whole game, just they flip from game to game so you can see the scoring plays. It's crazy. I mean, we love instant gratification. Amen? The thing is, the just shall live by faith. And, oh, by the way, it says this in Hebrews. If you want to turn there, great. If not, I'll read it to you. In Hebrews Chapter 6. You ready? It's talking about Abram right here. Can you believe it? You want to know about Abram a lot? Read Hebrews. It says here in uh, chapter 6, verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, God did, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Amen? Everybody with me? And you're saying... Now look, now before we read the next verse, eyes up. It's been 10 years. You told me, Lord. It was a promise. Are you a liar? Do you really love me? You don't even think about me. How could you do this to me and my family? How? 
people might be tempted to say, and I'll say, have to say, I'll bet a lot of people in here, including me, or starting with me, have said it. How? Why? What did you do to me? Or didn't do to me. But look at this in verse 15. And so, after he, that's a little age, had patiently endured Abraham. Time out. I don't know about you, man, but I don't dig patience in my flesh. I have no patience. If I, I'll take a route that's 20 minutes longer if I just don't have to sit in traffic. It's so stupid. It defeats the whole purpose. I want to get there quicker. I look on Waze or whatever, the maps. I see the red thing. I don't care if I have to go to Siberia to get to the place. I'm going because I hate to sit in traffic. Is anybody with me on this? Yes. Look at our hands. I'm impatient, but it says that Abraham, look at this again. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now watch. God determining to show more abundantly to verse 17, to the heirs of promise, the immutability, it doesn't change, in other words, of his counsel, confirmed it by the oath, in which it is impossible. Listen, you get this? It's impossible for God to lie. You know how you get to that point where it's the fork in the road? Like if you're ready, you know, you're at Starbucks or something and... I don't know, you took the wrong drink. And they're there for the moment. You're going, hmm, should I tell or should I not tell? In other words, you're changing. Look, the Lord has no option because in his nature, he must be truthful. We have an option, you see? And so you go and you go, wow, God doesn't lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that's set before us. And who is the ultimate hope? Jesus, who's set before us. And we were set before him when he marched to the cross. He's now set before us. That's where we're going, to be in heaven with him for eternity. It's amazing. And the the Bible here in Hebrews says that Abram had to learn. And I had to give to him my patience because He and his wife were running out of patience. Amen? And you can kind of see where they're coming from, right? Do you guys see where they're coming from? Ten years, man. I've been serving you ten years, Lord. That's how we get. So if you flip back to chapter 17, or excuse me, 16, that's the background here. There's a promise given by God. Sarah knows about the promise. And the wife of Sarah had borne him no children. That's a big problem, but he still has the promise. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Now, if you really want to, I'm going to do a little side trail here. We'll get back to the story in a minute, although this does apply. I mean, if you really want to do yourself some good to really help you connect the dots of who Hagar is and the whole of 
the book of Genesis. Do you remember back in Genesis 9, turn back there, that God had sons. How many sons did Noah have? Yeah, three sons. I saw somebody over there say it. And then if you go to verse 18, you can see who they are. Shem, Ham, Ham, excuse me, and Japheth. And look, and you got to know one other character. Ham was the father or yeah, of Canaan. And uh, anyway, these three sort of get in a couple, one gets in trouble, okay? And his name is Canaan, the grandson here. And it says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. And then look down in verse 26. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant, and may God enlarge Japheth. Okay, everybody with me. We have three sons. Then one of the grandsons gets cursed. But watch. Then you turn over to chapter 10. Hold on. If you get this, man, you're going to connect the dots. You're going to know more than 99.999999% of the people who study the Bible. Over here in chapter 10, when you sort of glaze over with the uh, table of nations, it describes who these three families are or became as they had descendants, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the first one was Japheth. And you go through it all. And then you go over to chapter or verse 6 of chapter 10. Everybody with me? I know this is a side trail. But it's going to help your biblical knowledge. And it says the sons of Ham were Cush, Africa, Mizraim, Egypt. In other words, Hagar is a descendant of Ham. Isn't that interesting? Now remember, there was a problem with that line. And you and I and we, we talked about it uh, back then. And the Lord's coming through a different line. But we get here and it says she had an Egyptian maidservant. You know what you ought to start thinking in your mind? Wow, descendant of Ham. I know that because I read, I'm building line upon line, precept upon precept. Good name for a ministry, by the way. But anyway, uh, and I'm building blocks here of my biblical knowledge so I can know the Lord better. And she's an Egyptian. And look, remember, I told you at the beginning, Noah had a crisis, or excuse me, Abram had a crisis of faith already. A famine comes in chapter 12, and he runs out. And moves out and gets down into Egypt, which is always a picture of the world or carnality, living according to the flesh. And he runs there. And no doubt, it says in chapter 12 that he accumulated riches. So it's most likely that they, this family, Sarah and Abram, uh, um, she became a maidservant as they left Egypt and went back up into the land of Canaan. Isn't that interesting? Well, I think it's interesting. (laughs) It helps your Bible knowledge, at least. So when you go back, you go, well, okay. You got Sarah, Abram, no kids, and a maidservant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, here it comes. 
What do we do when the Lord doesn't deliver like we want him to deliver? What do you do when you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and the Lord isn't delivering like you want him to? You can do one of two things. You can live by faith, or for lack of a better phrase, you can tank. Anybody here ever tanked? I've tanked. Thank good goodness. We live by grace, God's grace and mercy. Because here, Sarah says to Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. What do you think about that? I mean, what do you, what do you think? You think she's being faithful right there? Is that language of faith? Or is that language of distrust? It seems like it's some sort of language of distrust. Now go back with me. I know I'm flipping to Hebrews chapter 12 again. Sorry, I should have had you put your finger in there. Oh, this is important. This is all about the patriarchs and this is now 11 and 12 of chapter of Hebrews is the faith hall of fame and the race of faith. And look in verse 15 of chapter 12. Let's actually start reading in verse 12 of chapter 12 of Hebrews. Therefore, strengthen the hangs, hands which hang down. You ever had your hands hanging down or your eyes hanging down? Or you're weary or roughed up by life and you just felt weak? Well, make straight paths from your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people. Oh, man, I wish Christians did that. If we just did that, by the grace of God, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Look at this. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Watch lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. It was on there a minute ago, no problem. You have the picture-perfect idea of what family life is. And all of a sudden, these, this family, Abram, the father of the Bible, I mean the Old Testament, this is the man gets into this place because of distrust of God's word. You're going to see it here in a minute. They don't dis, they don't trust the promise. It's been 10 years. You must be lying. Why are you doing this to us? We asked for a kid. You told us about a kid. You're not going to get, you haven't given me the kid. What's wrong with you? Why are you doing this to me? What is he doing? What are they doing? They're distrusting God. They're not trusting him. They're saying to God, you're not a deliverer of promises. You talk well. You talk a big game. That's what they're saying. You talk a big game. Where's my kid? Now, wait a minute before you go on and be too pointy-pointy at them. You ever said that? Maybe you didn't say it like I just said it. 
but I bet you've said it, so have I. And the Bible here says one of the things that negates faith is not this big amount of bitterness, just a little bit. Like when you scroll through all the reels on Instagram and you go, man, Joe, Joe lives across town from me. Why is Joe's house like that, Lord? My house is like this. Joe's is like this. My house is like, look at his car. Oh, my goodness, Lord. I've been serving you for years. Look at his car, Lord. What did I just do? I just let a little root of bitterness come in there. Or why do they get along great? My, My marriage doesn't get along great. What's about them? Or why do their kids look like that and my kids look like that? Whatever. Or that guy has that job and this. Why does he get to be on the varsity basketball team and I have to be on the reserve? Whatever. And look, watch. It doesn't mean gobs of it. It just, boom, just a little seeps under the crack of the door into your heart. Boom. And it's a destroyer of faith. It destroys faith. That's what the Lord says. And that's what's happening here. Here you go. You got this girl, this lady. She is hearing from her husband. Well, God told me and you're going to be fine. We're going to have a kid. And she goes, well, wait a minute. I can't have kids. Uh, Is it going to be from somebody else? And he's like, no, no, no. He told me in Genesis chapter 15. He actually didn't say that, but you get it. He told me that it's going to come from my body. So we're going to have relations. You're going to have a kid. And she's like, well, wait a minute. It's been 10 years. Uh, um, um, Hagar, come here. Let's move God along a little bit. Let's take a descendant of Ham, who's not from the proper line. Not a, not a discriminatory thing. It's that they got outside the will of God. And let's just move this along. So here you go, Lord, uh, Abram. Uh, here's what I want you to do. Please go to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. You can hear the bitterness. Amen, right? You can hear the bitterness, the pain, the distrust, the hurt. And this unbelief, you see, by both Abram and Sarai is going to cause a lifetime of pain. In fact, if you watch TV now, you're watching it play out day by day in the Middle East. It's still going on. It's raging. Some unspeakable atrocities are occurring right before our eyes on CNN and and whatever you watch, Fox or wherever you go. It's right there and you can see it and you can, you're just so, you're blown away and you go, how can this happen? It all started from distrust, not trusting God's word, not trusting God's promise. You can take a picture like that and take a family and just trash it. Lack of faith. Isn't that crazy? So here you go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. Isn't that interesting? He didn't heed the voice of God. He heeded the voice of Sarah. Of course, we want to be respectful in our marriages. We want to listen and be counseled 
uh, by each other and sharpen one another and grow together in the Lord with one another in marriage. And yet Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. And a lot of people, you know, get right here and they're like, Sarah, how could you do that? I'm like, Abram, how could you do that? You should have just manned up right there, stood up as a, as a, as a spiritual, humble leader and reassured her right there, right there. You came to the fork of the road and reassured her. No, 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 no. We're going to trust the promise of God. And furthermore, I love you. Period. Because you know, people will ask you if you're a follower of Christ, doesn't the Bible teach polygamy? (laughs) No, the Bible never teaches polygamy. In fact, it teaches monogamy. And everywhere that the Bible brings up the issue, it ends in disaster. The Bible tells us in Genesis 2, that we're to, there's to be marriage. We're to leave our parents between one man, one woman. I'm saying that on purpose. And you're going to come together and two are going to become one spiritually, emotionally, listen, physically. And any time that it gets outside the bounds of that, there's disaster. And here it comes right now. And this really isn't a teaching on marriage and monogamy, I want you to think about this. This is a teaching about whether you believe God's Word or not. And I say this all the time. You're probably sick of me saying it, but I'm going to say it till the cows come home. Everybody wants to follow the Lord, it seems to me, until we get to the romantic life. It's like, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll follow you here. Yes, I'll follow you here. Yes, I'll follow you here. Oh, yeah, but she looks so good. All bets are out the window now. We lose our heads. We don't trust the Lord. This isn't a teaching about monogamy. This is a teaching about whether you and I will believe the promises and the will of God more than we believe what we want in our life. Amen? Yeah, it is. That's what it's about. So he says, I'll heed... uh, Sarah's voice or Sarai's voice. And then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. There you go. That's how I know it's 10 years. It's been 10 years. We've been waiting too long. We're going to hurry you along, Lord. We're going to fix this thing that you apparently can't fix. That's what they're saying. These are people of God now. You know, in 1 Peter, it calls her a holy woman. So what I'm saying is, you know, maybe all of us should take that 1 Corinthians 10 passage, starting with me, and stick it up on my refrigerator and remember that. Let anyone who thinks that he stand take heed, lest he fall. Wow, do we need the Lord, minute by minute, second by second, hour by hour, We need to stand and move and work in his power, in his spirit, and not what we want. So Sarah takes this, uh, 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 Abram's wife takes Hagar, gives it to Abram. So he went into Hagar. He had relations with Hagar, and she conceives. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress 
uh, became despised in her eyes. You see? Do you see how a picture like that can just spiral out of control? Here are two holy people, blessed people, faithful people, Sarah, Abram. And they're listening to the promises of God, but God's not working according to what they want, so they take it upon themselves. And Abram, man, he's happy to do it. And they take God's plan and they make it their own. In other words, they're operating according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. Do you agree? Yeah, they're operating according to what they want and not according to what the promises of God are. That's why it tells me when I read this, I better know the promises. One of the things that I want to do is I want to stand in the promised land, live in the promised land, in the promises of God, where the promises are. I want to know by God's grace what he's capable of, listen, and then let him live in and through me so that I'm not living in a carnal way, but in a spiritual way as he fills me up with his spirit so I can go out and, and, uh, and believe and live out his promises in a world that's tempting you to not do that. <laughs> Why would you do it? In fact, I want you to know something. When Sarah gives her handmaiden, it's like, you know, it's like being property or something. It's real cold and callous. But in the ancient world from Babylon to Egypt, this was fine. You, they found actually tablets that speak of ladies in these cultures who couldn't have kids. And so it was fine for their maidservant to have the child for them. And there's a scripture. I know I'm sort of getting graphic. Hold your ears if you have, don't want TMI because here it comes. There's a scripture in the uh, Old Testament that talks about while the maidservant is giving birth that the one who couldn't have the baby would sit on her lap. Yeah. Yeah. And some people would interpret it that way and many in the ancient world would do it. So it was like it was really hers. You get what I'm saying? And the reason I'm telling you that is this here. This is the reason I'm telling you that is. Everybody in the world is screaming at them, it's okay, it's fine, just, I mean, who cares? I mean, that's what all of us do. And then you go, hold on. That's what everybody's telling us now. <laughs> Come on, you're saved by grace. Live with your boyfriend, live with your girlfriend. You can't have sex before your marriage? Are you kidding me? This, this is the, what century is this? Whatever century it is. What is it? 21st century. Right? Everybody says it. And then if somebody comes around the corner and says, well, I'm waiting towards marriage. I mean, Tim Tebow says it at a press conference and Tim Tebow, the darling child of the press, wham, he gets attacked. No way. So she... Let's Hagar sleep with Abram. Abram's so happy to oblige. He, he's not full of faith right here. He's not leading his family in the right way. 
Sarah says, look, first of all, she goes in and she's conceived and her mistress, she hates her mistress now. She hates Hagar, the one that used to serve her, the one that served her all those years. They probably were really tight. Now she hates her. And now she goes back to Abram. Abram's probably lounging around watching football or something. And Abram, Sarah says to Abram, my wrong be upon you. All this happened because of you. And by the way, she's not really wrong, but here it comes. Here comes uh, contention between a husband and a wife. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. Now we're fighting. I'm mad at you. (laughs) So Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. (laughs) What an honorable guy. Oh, my goodness. Where are the honorable men? The biblical men. What are we training up? I I just got to tell you this. I'm going to get on a soapbox here. We have Wednesday night church and we have all these young people come and I look over there and it's all girls. I'm like, what? Where are the boys? We're failing and have been failing generations upon generations upon generations of young men who need to be and should be by the power of God, not in their own strength, that they love God and respect God and respond to God and want to treat ladies the way the Bible says we should. Now, guys, some of you come and you're awesome and they're back there and I see them. But there's no honor here. And it's sad because he's the father of the nation here. So indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. No honor. Be a leader. Get with Jesus. That's what I want to tell a lot of the dads here. You know, just, uh, you got basketball every night for 14 weeks in a row. Fine. Go get, get a basketball scholarship. Yeah, right. I had this one pastor say this in a sermon I was at. I was offended. He said, I know your kid's not going to be a pro. He said, you know how I know? Because I see he has your genes. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. So be careful. I mean, you can do it. I mean, Tim Tebow does it beautifully. Other people in the pros, they do it beautifully. If that's your gift, do it. But man, don't sacrifice your kids for the, on the altar of popularity or something like you're living your life through your kids. Get them to be with the Lord, to love the Lord and to respond to the Lord with grace and mercy, by his grace and mercy. Do that. Don't be a rule person who tries to train up moral robots. Train up graceful kids, not rule uh, keepers, but promise believers. And so he does. And then the angel of the Lord so he's, he's dealt harshly with her. And look, I want you to see something. Hagar flees from her presence. She leaves. 
Man, what, what should Abram have done? He should have prayed and repented and gathered his wife and said, man, I really failed you and we, we shouldn't be this way and I'm sorry and let's make this right. And he doesn't and she leaves and she flees. And now look at this. You've gone from that picture to this awful story where you can't find one honorable act among the people of God. Isn't that terrible? All because they wouldn't believe and trust. Unbelievable. I mean, it's not unbelievable, but man. And now look, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water. Can we put up the map? Uh, By a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where have you gone? Now, I want you to see a couple things. First of all, I want to ask you and talk to you about and think about who is the angel of the Lord? Well, remember, we talked about who Melchizedek was. Melchizedek was at least a type of Christ. I believe it was a Christophany, but you don't have to believe what I believe. I believe the appearance of Melchizedek earlier in the Genesis story with Abram as they're trying to outbless one another and uh, they bring out the wine and the bread. I think that's an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. But the angel of the Lord, I mean, you could do a study on this. The angel of the Lord uh, appears later to Abram in Genesis 22. He comes to Moses in Exodus, Balaam in Numbers 22, uh, to Israel uh, as a whole in Judges 2, uh, to Gideon in Judges 6. Uh, it appears to Samson's parents in Judges 13, to David in 2 Samuel 24, and to Elijah in the First Kings account. All right? And we understand that the Bible says no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him, John 1.18 says. And no man has ever seen God in the person of the Father, 1 Timothy 6.16. It seems like if God personally appeared and spoke in the Old Testament, we would understand that appearance to be the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And I certainly believe that, that this is the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, appearing in the Old Testament. How exciting is that? And here's what's really exciting. You ever read that story about the 99, the 100 sheep, and one runs away? When I first started reading the Bible, I would scratch my head and say, hmm, I don't think I use this word, but this is what I was thinking. That is totally illogical to me. You mean you're going to give up 99 for one? You're going to give up 99 for one? And he really didn't give up 99 for one. I know he didn't. But I'm just telling you, that seems so illogical to me before I became a Christian. And yet here, I want you to see something. Jesus Christ, if you believe it's a Christophany, if not, you at least believe it's a type of Christ, but whatever, it's sent from God. Listen to this, listen. Sent, or was sent to find the outcast. The person from Ham. Whoa! The one who was bitter and angry and got into a love triangle she shouldn't have got in, and yet she was like treated like property. And, you know, she had her bad moments in this, and she was was an outcast. 
I mean, if you're picking people out of the story, you're going, oh, Abram, big, big, big deal. And the Lord did appear to Abram as Melchizedek, if you believe that. At least he was a type of Christ. But what I want to show you is God runs after the people, listen, who don't have it all together. In fact, if you don't have it all together, that's a good thing in a sense. We try to be good little girls and good little boys. And we do it in our own strength. And what the Lord is trying to tell us right here is you need me. And the way in which I come to you is when you recognize you are weak, I'll become strong in your life. If you here feel lonely as an outcast, maybe you messed up in your life, you did some weird things, bad things, whatever. This is the story for you and me. He runs after her. He goes right after her. The angel of the Lord goes to Hagar. Can you believe it? And he gets her in the wilderness. It's up here. He's going now down south, down south towards Egypt. And go back up to, yeah, right up there. Hagar is probably in this area here, right as she's going out of the land of Canaan, headed towards Egypt. What's she doing? She's going home. She's going back. That's what's happening here. And the Lord pursues her, and Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Isn't that cotton-eyed Joe? But anyway, (laughs) I wake you up with that one. I know that. In fact, we'll be playing it in here in one week. But anyway, anyway, uh, where have you come from and where are you going? And I think that's such a great thing that the Lord asks you and asks me. You know, I I hear some people say, don't ever talk to your talk about being a sinner. You're not a sinner anymore. You've been washed by the blood. And I I get that. That is true. You've been washed by the blood and you're a child of the king and you're royalty. The problem for me is my flesh wars against the spirit. And like Abram, if I don't take heed, I could fall. Amen. And I think what the Lord here is telling you to do is to have a healthy respect of where you've come from You recognize that you're a dirty, rotten sinner. (laughs) I recognize that I'm the dirty, rotten sinner. No kidding. Left to myself, I could do the most dastardly things. But with the Lord in my life, I'm going somewhere. And there's this healthy balance. Some people always are, woe is me, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Yeah, you are, but come on now, you're a child of the king. And other people are like, I'm a child of the king. And they got their suit on and their tie up and their chest puffed out. And you're like, I'll see you at the bottom, buddy. Because there's a healthy respect. There's a healthy view. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's who I am. Amen? So here, God asks her that. Isn't that fascinating? Where are you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress. And the angel of the Lord says to her, return to her and submit yourself under your hand. Now, wait a minute. You're going, wait a sec. I got to go back. I mean, I'm in a cat fight with that lady over there. We don't like each other. The angel of the Lord says to her, but hey, I'm going to multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. People from Egypt, from Ham, from the desert areas, Arabs. Now, when I say that, 
Here's what I suspect happens for some of us. We go, okay, we're pro-Israel and we're over here. And anytime something bad happens to the Arabs, great. That's not how the Lord felt about it, nor does he feel about it now. He loves all the people. I don't care what label you put on the person. That's who the Lord loves. Does he love what terrorist groups are doing? Oh, no. Did God choose to reveal himself to all the nations through a chosen nation called Israel? Oh, yes. Does he have a plan for Israel in the future? Uh Uh-huh. But he loves us all. And here he gives to her this promise. I'm going to multiply your descendants so that they shall not be counted, or so they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you're with child, and you're going to bear a son. And you're going to call his name Ishmael. Now this should just really, if you feel like an outcast, if you feel like you've fallen recently, if you feel like, I don't know, you don't fit in, you're going to call him the God who hears. In other words, I've heard you, Hagar, all the way out here in the wilderness when you thought nobody was paying attention to you, when you felt most like nobody loved you, you were lonely, you were by yourself, you're out in the wilderness, no one's paying attention to you, you've been treated poorly by people. The Lord says you're going to call his name, I heard you. (laughs) Every time you sing to the sweet little baby, your sweet little baby, you're going to be reminded of the promise that I heard you. And because the Lord has heard your affliction, you're going to get this promise. But look, he shall be a wild man. In other translations, it says he shall be a wild donkey of a man. (laughs) A wild. And that just simply means like very individualistic, on my own, I can do it type of thing. And his hand shall be against every man. And every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Now look, if you are a Muslim, you believe that the promised line comes through Ishmael. If you're a Jew or Christian... Christian, that's what we're talking mostly in here. You believe in the son that's coming even farther down the road in Genesis named Isaac. Listen, listen, listen. 25 years, 25 after the promise that's coming late. You get it? So here he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. I'm just telling you, when my family asked me or the people in my family, or, you know, not my immediate family, but asked me, why do people hate Israel? I'm like, uh, am I being punked right here? Because it's right here. Now, I'm not criticizing them if they're watching. I'm criticizing the church at large for not teaching it. Here it is, chapters 15 and 16. The Lord loves Arabs, Palestinians, Iraqis, Iranians, Russians. He loves them all. 
But because of a lack of faith, who, this is serious, man. The family split. And off they go down two different roads. And then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Do you know? (laughs) Turn with me to Daniel 11. (laughs) I just want you to see this with your own eyes. You will jump out of your seat when you see this. You're going to know what to study all next year for your daily devotions. You're going to know. You're going to go to Daniel chapter 11. If you don't know where that is, just look it up in the table of contents and nobody make fun because I have to do it sometimes too. But Daniel 11, verse 32. First 32, the back end of it is what we're aiming at. Listen to what it says. Those who do wickedly against the covenant He shall corrupt with flattery. That's not for this teaching. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. (laughs) And carry out great deeds and exploits. And if you're sitting over there and you're young, the Bible says don't let anybody, anybody despise your youth or tell you you're too young to do great things. All of us, from the littlest to the oldest here, If you know your God, should I know the rules? No, not the rules. God, if you know him personally, you're going to do great exploits. The Lord's going to give you the power and the strength to do great exploits. And watch, I just want you to see this, how beautiful this is. This lady, ladies, is the only person in the entire Bible who ascribes a name to God. Now, God has lots of different names, but they come from him. The lady ascribed it to him, and it's one of the greatest things you could ever say about God, isn't it? It's this, that he is the God who sees. You've seen me, you see me. Who here? Listen. Oh, man, this is just so beautiful. Don't some of us, I bet you if you're a counselor, I just bet. You get a lot of people come in and they say things like this. They might not say it like this, but this is what they're saying. I don't feel seen and heard. In my marriage, I just, he never listens to me. Never. I just don't feel seen and heard. What are they really saying? They don't feel loved. Right? They don't feel loved. Because what do you do with people you love? You listen to them. You, you hear them. You Love them. You let them come to you and talk out, even when they're making, you know, no sense. And you know, you know they're making no sense, but they just need a hug and they need to talk. You hear them. You love them. You look them in the eye. You don't play on your phone. You look them in the eye. You, you listen to what they're saying. And they walk out of your counseling office like, wow, you're the amazing counselor. And you're like, wait a minute, I didn't do anything. You just let me be seen and be heard. It's so great. I want you to tell you something. In Galatians, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul refers to this, in my opinion, when Paul says in Galatians, uh, sorry, in chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says it, he refers to it, but now 
after you have known God. That's cool. Because the Bible says in Daniel 11, if you know God, you're going to do great things. That's great. But watch this. It's like Paul said, oh, wait a minute. But also, not just me knowing God. Watch this. But after you have known God, or rather, here it is, are known by God. God knows you better than he knows your, you, better than you know yourself. And that's comforting. God takes the time to know you. He's not some impersonal force that just wound up the earth and stepped back and said, I'll see you in a couple decades. He gets right there involved with you personally. He knows the hairs on your head. He cares for you. He listens for you or listens to you. He knows what you're going through. He knows when, you know, you've been ugly and acted ugly like Sarah and Abram and Hagar. He knows all that stuff. And he still loves you. And he still loves me. And he wants to hear you. I mean, people don't like to hear and take the time to listen to people anymore. Here it is, right here in the Bible. Uh, Our God is a God who sees and hears. I really think that people who experience this with God become healthy spiritually. You say, what should I do? I want to become healthy spiritually. Should I, you know, memorize the Bible? Yeah, you should memorize the Bible. Should I help old ladies across the street? Oh, yeah, you should go serve and help old ladies across the street. Do the homeless? Yeah, do the homeless. That's great too. But don't forget the first thing. To know God and to let him know you. He does know you, but when you know that he knows you, wow. And she does. I think we're going to see Hagar in eternity. Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahoi Roy. Observe, it's between Kadesh and Barad. We saw that. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And you know, later in the Bible, chapter 20, or in Genesis, chapter 25, 18, we see that uh, Ishmael goes back to his roots, his ham roots, and goes back to Egypt. And yet God loves him. Now, one other thing, or two other things before we close. The first thing is this. What is one of the things that this Bible is teaching, or this story is teaching you and me to do, is to wait on the Lord in faith. That's what the Bible is teaching you right here, that Abram had to go through this, will go through this. He fell. He was on a spiritual high. He falls. But the Lord's saying everywhere, wait on me. I mean, there's a million places in the Bible where it says to wait on the Lord. There's so many Psalms. Psalm 27, you could go there and you could uh, read through that and it talks about waiting upon the Lord. But what is waiting upon the Lord? It's not inactivity. It's actually the opposite of that. It's an expectant hope that God is going to work it out for the good. And you, while you're waiting, 
will be in the word, will be praising God, will be expecting that God is going to work, and you're going to believe it, the best for you through all of it, even if it takes 25 years. 25 years. You're going to be on your knees. You're going to tuck yourself under the shadow of God's wings. That's what waiting on the Lord looks like. It's not like, you know, hey, uh, I'm going to the Steeler game tonight, but could you pray for me to help me wait on the Lord? And uh, I'll be over here doing my own thing, but I just say a little prayer for me. No, you're pressing in with the Lord and waiting and seeking and trusting and believing and praising and serving all the while in faith because the just shall live by faith. Now here, here's the last thing. You got to know this. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. Nothing. As one commentator points out, listen to how Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, we believe, he compiled the records. Moses wrote this chapter, listen, as a parallel to the story in the garden when Eve ate the fruit and gave it to her husband to eat. You could see some of the parallels Many uh, commentators talk about this. Abram listened to his wife like Adam listened to his wife in Genesis 3.17. Listen, Sarah took Hagar similarly like Eve took the fruit in 3.16. And Sarah gave Hagar to her husband like Eve gave the fruit to hers in chapter 3, verse 6. Isn't that fascinating? There's nothing new under the sun. The Bible tells us we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is all about its system of thinking, and basically what it does is it caters to the flesh, because here's what the flesh says. Me. (laughs) I. What's in it for me? How can I look best? What can I get? That's what the world does. And then the enemy of our souls, listen to this. He sees those roots of bitterness. It says, don't let the enemy have a stronghold or a foothold. Nothing little. Just don't let him have. He see. look, the the third enemy, see, he looks and finds where you're, look, here's what he does. You're discontented with the word of God or God's promises And then he shoots the fiery dart saying, I can't believe God would do that to you. You were sure he loves you? I mean, I know the Bible says there's no condemnation, but you should be condemned for the way you're acting. I know the Bible says that you don't have any peace with God, but, or excuse me, that you have peace with God, but you shouldn't have peace with God the way you act. Anybody ever felt like that? That's the enemy. Remember, conviction always drives us back to the Lord. Condemnation always drives us away from the Lord. It's easy to understand. It's sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to see. Now look, we're going to close. 
what would be our prayer every day of our lives? Help. Help. Lord, I need you. Maybe I've been on a spiritual high. Maybe I haven't. But Lord, help. Come into my helplessness and work all of this out. That's O'Hallisby, by the way. Help. Lord, help me to be teachable and humble and to live by faith, not faith in my faith. That's what a lot of pastors on a TV will tell you to do. Live, build up your faith and live by that. That's silliness. My faith, like Abraham's. I'm going to have faith in God who's powerful enough to do anything about my situation. I'm going to trust God. Lord, I need help doing that. I need even the grace to believe and to trust. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this word. And uh, Lord, it's just so awesome to be able to come in here and to worship together and to lift up your name. Lord, help us to be promised believers and obeyers. In Jesus' name. Amen.